We have been going through the book of Titus, and one of the things that you encounter as you go through the book of Titus is an emphasis on good works. And as we've, we've sung about the greatness of our God and heard of testimonies of the work of God, one of the questions we must ask is, what is the appropriate response to what our Savior has done for us? Uh, the passage we're dealing with is going to be talking about how do we respond to the gospel. And it's interesting, in uh, two of the times that Titus mentions good works, both come immediately after a discourse on the gospel. And in chapter 2, verses 11 through uh, 14, they have a presentation of the grace that appears with Christ's first coming and the glory that's going to appear in Christ's second coming. And afterwards emphasizes that, that Christ died to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And, and this emphasis is what has led to the title of our, seal, our series, um, The Zeal of the Redeemed. That, that those of us who have been saved are to have a, a certain passion, a, a certain priority, a certain emphasis. And the book of Titus says that this is good works. And one of the things we emphasize over and over again, and it bears repeating, uh, works are a dangerous thing. If you have the wrong perspective on works, it can endanger even our salvation by putting our trust in the wrong area. And throughout the book of Titus, there's an emphasis, good works don't save us. It says, but the, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So works don't save us. Works never save, but works always accompany the saved. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. That is, God has set us aside, God has made us his own, and God has empowered us for good works. The passage we're going to be looking at uh, today uh, talks about, in light of the gospel, how do we respond and what opposition do we face? Look with me, please, at Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we study your word, we would be transformed by it. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, the, the, word, the, the word that we hear today would transform our hearts. 
that it would soften our hearts and not harden our hearts, that it would lead us to obedience rather than rebellion. We ask these things in the precious and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The truth of the grace of the gospel leads believers to devote themselves to something. It says this saying is trustworthy. What, what the saying refers to is what's come immediately before, which is Paul's description of the gospel, talking of Christ saving us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All that is is a a long description of the beautiful and wonderful things that Christ has done for us. He has saved us by what he has done in the past, and what he has done in the past on the cross secures our future. Notice he he says uh, that we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have an inheritance. I, I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance, uh, there was one time when I got an inheritance, as, and as a, it, it was from a family friend who passed away, and then uh, they had written me along with my siblings into the will. And uh, as a high school student, I was very excited to get that $2,000. Now, that $2,000 was not something I worked for. It's something that somebody else had earned that I received at their death. Interestingly enough, and a a little bit different, our inheritance was secured by Christ's death. And we receive it at our death. Not based on anything that we have done, but we inherit it because of the work that He has done. Now, in, in light of that hope, the hope of eternal life, the question comes up, how should we live? How should we as the church function? And Paul exhorts Titus here, make sure you keep emphasizing the truth of the gospel. Make sure that you keep repeating it to those who believe in God. The reason why Paul wants Titus to keep emphasizing these things is that there is a certain progress, there is a certain way in which believers grow out of that initial moment of salvation. Uh, As Bryce shared earlier, oftentimes those of us who who grow up in the church and hear the truth over and over again, after we get saved, that's when most of the growth occurs. It's a starting point, not a finishing line. And there's a a progression here that's mentioned. I want you to notice it. He says, "This, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Bring them up. Don't let anybody ignore them. By the way, Both the presentation of the gospel at the beginning of chapter 3 and the end of chapter 2 are met with exhortations to emphasize it. At the end of chapter 2, verse 15, Paul tells Titus, Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is keep emphasizing the gospel. Keep presenting it. Don't let people ignore it. Don't let people forget about it. Don't let people grow cold to it. That's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why we study. We want to constantly kindle the fire of the gospel in our hearts. So I want you to insist on these things. Why? 
Why is the saying trustworthy? Why should this truth be emphasized and insisted on so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works? Now, he, he's telling this to people who've believed in God. As we say, this, this is not an end point. This is a starting point. They believe in God. What does he do to those who have come to believe in God? He emphasizes the gospel. He preaches and proclaims the gospel. Why? So that they don't just believe in God, but they recognize who he is and what he has done for them. And in recognizing who he is and what he has done for them, they begin to act in accordance with the identity he has provided for them. They become careful to devote themselves to good works. This, this is a process of spiritual formation, coming to know that God exists, learning about the work of God, what he has done to save us and redeem us and to make us his people, what he has called us to be. And that working in us and empowering us to be a people who are devoted to good works. It says, be careful to devote themselves to good works. I think that this, this term, uh, being careful, uh, being careful just reminds me when, when something's precious, you have to be careful with it. Uh, we've, we have twins, and uh, it's difficult to be careful around kids. They're reckless. It's even more difficult to be careful around kids when you're trying to carry two of them, uh, and they are flailing about wildly. Um, our kids are young, but they're so strong. So you're trying to be careful, and what are they doing? They're flailing about randomly, and you're just trying to contain them and control them. Why? Because they're delicate. You don't want them to get broken. Uh, you, you, you don't want them to fall. You've, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful where you set them. You've got to be careful where you put them. You've got to be careful while they're eating so they don't choke on things. You've got to be careful with things that are valuable. These truths must be he must carefully handle, and the, uh, the people who receive these truths have to be careful in their application of it. They don't want to misapply it. They don't want to uh, misjudge what their proper response is. They need to be careful to devote themselves to good works. Sometimes I wonder, what do we devote ourselves to? NCAA basketball? college football, our jobs, hopefully our marriages. What do you devote yourselves to? What, what do you commit your time to? What do you present yourself before over and over again? Here it says something that believers are called to, that the church is called to devote themselves to. It is good works. The gospel of, of grace leads us to good works. It, now, it doesn't start with good works. Uh, that's idolatry. Uh, th that is selfishness. That, that is pride. But it produces good works. It empowers us to good works. It moves us forward into them, not because we are earning anything by it for our salvation, but because our salvation has been earned already in response to the goodness, in response to the grace, in a response to the powerful work of Christ, believers are to be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
He says, these things are excellent. That's an understatement and profitable for people. Uh, This devotion, he, he reminds them, this devotion, this commitment to good works is excellent and profitable for people. Before we go to that, I, I, I skip something that's very important. We as Westerners have a tendency to think in individual terms. Uh, so when we're reading this and we're saying, be careful to devote themselves to good works, uh, you know, we're thinking, how do I, in, in my lane, in my life as, as who I am, devote myself to the individual good works that I'm called to? Uh, but saints, we're called to be a body. And there are particular good works that you're only going to be able to demonstrate and live out in the body. Uh, Christ says that uh, you will know them by their love, one for another. Yeah, saints, you, you can't display the love of the church amongst the fellowship of believers unless you're a part of it. That's, that's convicting for me. I'm a little bit of a misanthrope. You know, I, I just think, you know, if it weren't for people, ministry would be so easy. It'd be, it, would be, it would be great. We didn't have all these problems, you know. The monastic life appeals to me. You know, just go up, find a monastery, cloister yourself, get a Bible and some study notes, and then you're good. You know, it, where, the, where does the difficulty come in? It comes in with other people. Loving them like Christ has told us to love them. Yet that's what we're called to do called to be loving and gracious and kind. Now, sometimes people think, well, if we're all supposed to be doing these good works, won't that lead to some people slacking off more than others? Now, doesn't that make my individual good deeds less important? Well, if you follow the body analogy, it actually makes them more important. If the heart fails to pump the blood, the body's in trouble. Heart's in trouble also. If the lungs fail to oxygenate the blood, the lungs are in trouble and the heart's in trouble. If the digestive system fails to gather nutrients, the rest of the body's in trouble. Uh, The work you have been called to exists to benefit you, to benefit the body of believers around you, and to help the church function as the body of Christ. There are also, there's also a sense in which the good works that we've been called to corporately, there are things we can, we can do corporately that we can't do individually. We've just, we've just had Meet Memphis. If you look at some of the problems that Memphis has and you think, oh gosh, there's no way I could even make a small dent in that. But there are certain problems we could make a pretty big dent in, even if I could make a small dent through the empowering work of God. So this devotion to good works, it involves an individual aspect. I'm called to certain good deeds, but largely and overarchingly, it's something corporately we as the church are called to do. Now, he says these things are excellent and profitable for people. What I want you to see in this is that God does not benefit from our good work. But that, that temptation occurs both before salvation and after salvation. You know, but before salvation, sometimes we think our good works can earn and merit salvation. That's not true. Uh, sometimes, even though we think, oh, before salvation, it, it didn't uh, increase or, or help God. But after salvation, uh, I'm, I'm going to be able to help him out. Uh, 
Saints, we, we don't have the, the power to bring profit to God. Uh, there is uh, no feat of strength that I will be able to accomplish that makes God any stronger. There's no intellectual insight I can delve up that's going to make God any wiser. There's no uh, financial gift I can give that's going to make God any richer. Our life and breath and everything has been given to us by God. And therefore, there's nothing we can give Him that's going to increase who He is or His power or His ability. Everything He's, he's given to us, it's, it's like refunding it. It didn't lead to the other person being any richer, being any more powerful, being any more great. And sometimes when we think of this, none of the good works I can do benefit God. That's kind of depressing when you think about it a little bit. It's like none of the good stuff I can do can benefit God at all. Oh, gosh. That's, that sounds awful. And, and, and for some people, that might discourage you. Say, well, what's the point of good works then? I, I know the book of Titus reminds us to do it, but why? What's the point? Well, there is a profit. There is a benefit. Since these things are excellent and profitable for people, the benefit of good works is for people. It doesn't earn our salvation. It doesn't give anything or add anything to God, but there is a benefit for people. And by the way, we are some of the people that benefit from it. Have you ever done a good work, gone on a mission trip, given somebody a gift, helped somebody out, and then afterwards, how do you feel? feel great, feel empowered, you're encouraged, sometimes more so than the other person, you know? You went to help them out, and you left more encouraged than they were. You left more strengthened. Why is that? Well, it's because we're moving more and more into what we're called to be. It's because we're becoming and obeying and acting in faith towards God. It helps us become what God has called us to be, people devoted and committed to good works. There should hopefully also be benefit for other believers in the church. As we are growing in the knowledge of God, as we are growing in His grace and graciousness, as we are interacting with one another as the church, that should be building one another up. That should be strengthening one another. That should be encouraging one another. So as we grow in these good works, not only do we benefit, but the church benefits. Not only does the church benefit, but the world should benefit as well. The society around us should benefit. Uh, at, at the beginning of chapter 3, he, he spoke into, as to specific ways in which we devote ourselves to these good works. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, if you had a neighbor like that, wouldn't you enjoy it? On the other hand, if, if you had on the other side of the fence a neighbor who was foolish, disobedient, led astray, staved to various passions and pleasure, passing their days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another, uh, which neighbor are you going to enjoy more? By the way, I feel like I've got a neighbor who, who has devoted himself to good works. Uh, there's been about three times in the three years 
I've lived in the house we're currently in where I've brought our trash back up from the curb. Because after the trash men come, he comes up, pulls them back. If a limb falls across the sidewalk anywhere on our block, he's out there with a saw. He has devoted himself to good works, to the benefit of others. We're to be a, a people who are devoted to good works. And guess what? We benefit. The church benefits. The society around us benefits. A good Christian is a good citizen and a good neighbor. These things are profitable for people. And as we live out these good works, one of the things we're doing is demonstrating the love of God. What does God do? God loves people that are unworthy of it. Even if your neighbor is the jerk I mentioned. Even, even if he's rude, what do we do? We demonstrate the love of Christ to them, to those who do not deserve it. Now, we're devoted to good works, but there are two opponents that are mentioned in this passage, two good works, that have to be overcome. The, the two opponents to our devotion to good works are distraction and division. The two opponents to good works are distraction and division. Verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Titus, as a leader in the church, part of his purpose is to keep the main thing the main thing. To make sure that the church is focused upon and centered upon Christ and not distracted by other things. It's very easy to lose focus. What can cause a church to lose focus? Well, some of the things they mention here. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. These things are unprofitable and worthless. Now, like any good thing, the study of the Word of God can be twisted. People can do it for wrong motives and wicked purposes. Here, here there are, are certain people who are quibbling for the sake of quibbling, arguing for the sake of arguing. They're always studying, but never progressing. And, and saints, as somebody who works in church and talking to people who come out on a Sunday night, this is an area of spiritual malformation that we must be acutely aware of. Because especially at a church like First of Anne, where we have a high view of the Word of God and don't always do a good job living it out or working towards living it out, the temptation can be to just go to Bible studies and get more and more knowledge, more and more information so that you can, when you're arguing with somebody who has a different theological position, to you, you can school them. I mean, you, you, can, you can really tear them apart and, and you can do all these things. Uh, Saints, we, we have to avoid that temptation. We, we have to avoid the temptation of gaining knowledge about Scripture for the sake of having the knowledge about Scripture. We need to avoid uh, the gaining of information so that we can have some sort of uh, informational or intellectual battering ram to knock other people down with. 
the Christian leader here is to have a rugged insistence on the gospel. There's also to be a determined focus to keep anything else from distracting you from it. By the way, that's one of the ways you can tell if something's a foolish controversy, genealogy, dissension, quarrel about the law. Does it lead you to see Christ more clearly and worship Him? Or does it keep you from that? Does it cause you to love your neighbor better? Or does it cause you to hate him more? Does it bring forth the gospel? Or does it distract from the gospel? We must avoid the distraction of getting caught up in these arguments, getting caught up in these quarrels, getting caught up in unprofitable and worthless pursuits. Now, these distractions are often brought by people who are seeking division. If you're looking at the law or the controversy or scripture or genealogies in this way, usually you're trying to do some one-upmanship or some division. It says, as for the person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Saying he's warped means he's off track. Uh, saying, saying he is sinful means that he's wrong in what he's pursuing, and saying that he's self-condemned is saying that he will not repent when confronted with the truth. Distraction and division keep us from our devotion. If the purpose of presenting before our eyes over and over again is the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might joyfully pursue good works and obedience to Him. Then, then, then studying the scripture in such a way uh, to be able to argue, to be able to just have endless quarries and questions, to never really progress in our growth is a distraction. If we're to pursue these good works as the church, as a united front, we must be very wary of those who are seeking to divide, to split up, to fracture the church. One of the things that, that Christ prays for uh, in the book of John in the upper room is for the unity of the church, that we might be united on our purposes. Again, this is one of the ways we, we can tell that what we are studying and what we are understanding through the Scripture is of God. Does it lead to an emphasis on the gospel that unites us with brothers and sisters in the church to do good works for the glory and praise of our Savior? Is this uniting us and bonding us to others who have received the grace of Jesus Christ? Or is it causing us to commit fratricide against fellow soldiers in the army of God? In this book, we have a high calling to devote ourselves to good works. By the way, I think as a Christian, the relationship we have with good works is one of the best there is. Because as we've said, our good works don't earn salvation. Do you know most people are living under that dynamic? 
most religions, all false religions, have a presentation of there's something you got to do for God, and that's what earns your salvation. You know what type of a desperate, needy, malformed relationship that makes with good works? You're going to be thinking all the time, have I done enough? Was it good enough? Have I, have I done enough? Was it good enough? Was it in the right way? Was it in the right order? Do I need to do more? Do I need to keep doing more? Have I done something bad enough to undo the good stuff that I had been doing earlier? Saints, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that releasing? Christ has earned our salvation. It is secure. It is awaiting us on heaven's shore. Our eternal destiny has been made safe by the work of Christ. We don't have to worry about it. What do we get to do? We get to reflect the love and the compassion and the kindness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus to a lost and dying world. We get to reflect His truth, His goodness, His character, His work to a church in desperate need of encouragement and strength. We get to do good works as a reward for Him saving us. He's saved us to empower us to do good work. We are blessed and honored to be a people of His that we might be empowered to do this by the work of Christ on the cross and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit to the glory and praise of God the Father. All these things are given to us. We don't have to worry about earning. We don't have to worry about securing. We don't have to worry about keeping. We get to do good works and enjoy them. Receive joy from the fact that we are honoring and loving and obeying and entering into a right relationship with our Savior, becoming who He has called us to be. Saints, don't let anything distract you from that purpose. Don't let anything divide you from the church you have been called to accomplish that mission with. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy poured out to us. We thank You, Lord, that You have saved us not because of our works, but You have saved us according to Your own mercy, that You have blessed us richly through Jesus Christ. Lord, as a result of the eternal life that You have secured, as a result of the redemption with which You have bought us, Lord, we pray that we might be zealous for good works, that we might carefully devote ourselves to good works. Keep us from distraction, either involvement in religious disputes or the things of this world. Keep us from division, but help us to love your church as you have loved it. We ask all these things to the praise and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Receive now the benediction. Grace be with you all. Amen. Thanks for happening out. Yeah, man. I don't know.